You're listening to In It Together, a podcast curated by the Rideout Lyme Health and Wellness Team. I'm Brandy Dean, founder and president of Rideout Lyme, and our mission is raising funds to help those impacted by Lyme and other tick-borne diseases pay for their treatments. This In It Together podcast is an offering not just for those with Lyme disease, but for anyone struggling in any way and looking for hope and inspiration. Join us for heartfelt conversations about what gets us through as we walk our journeys. No matter where you are or what your situation is, our team here at Ride Out Lime want you to know that we are right there with you behind you all the way. Jody Hudson, welcome to In It Together, the Ride Out Lime podcast. I'm so grateful this brought us together to connect today. You have a unique background as the founder of the Alex Hudson Lyme Foundation, inspired by your daughter's life and legacy, and now you're a published author. So I'm excited to talk more about your story today and have this space. Can you tell us a little bit more about the book you recently published? Sure, absolutely. And first of all, thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm so glad that we were able to connect and, and I'm able to, to tell my story and Alex's story. So my daughter passed away in March of 2018 from Lyme disease. After 10 years of being misdiagnosed, she was finally diagnosed with Lyme in May of 2017. When she passed, you know, I didn't really, you know, set out to write a book. I mean, I'm I'm not an author. I don't journal. I don't do any of those things, nor did Alex. It would have been so much easier if she had, (laughs) but she didn't, she didn't journal either. So anyway, when she passed in March of 2018, I immediately started her foundation. And as I was doing different speaking engagements, people would come up to me afterwards and they would ask me, so when is your book coming out? And I looked at them like, book, what are you talking about? Like, I just told you guys my story. But the more I thought about it, I'm like, yes, you know, I need to write a book because one, I need to get all the stuff out of my head that I went through before I forget it. Two, I wanted people to really understand the inner journey of someone dealing with Lyme disease. And three, I wanted to create that legacy for Alex. I wanted this story to make an impact on others. And it has, it's just been incredible the impact that this book has had, but yeah, so those were the the reasons why I really wanted to to get this book done and to get it published. And when exactly was it published? So it was published in February, and I prior to that, it took me it only took me four months, five months tops to actually sit down and type this out, you know, to get fifty thousand words to make a, a halfway decent book, and. Most people, you know, listening to this are like, oh, okay, well, that's no big deal. But you have to understand, I was working at Catholic Charities at that time, a nonprofit full-time. I was also starting Alex's foundation, the Alex Sets in Line Foundation, full-time plus, trying to get events up and running. And this book just like out of nowhere came to my head and I just sat down one night and I just was obsessed with it. I just had to get this story out. And when I look back on that experience now, I think, oh my gosh, today I wouldn't be able to do that. But I feel like sometimes you just have that, you know, stamina in you. You have 
you know, this adrenaline that just runs through your body when you have to get something done, you know, God just gives you the tools to make it happen. And definitely in that moment, he gave me the tools to, to make that happen. And so I finished the book and then I started interviewing with publishing houses. And after a while, I thought, you know, how hard can it be to self-publish? Because I didn't want them to take anything away from the story. And I really wanted to hang on to all of my contacts, everyone, you know, in the Lyme community and social media and, and all that stuff. I really wanted to protect everything surrounding this book. And so, yeah, it was published in February and it's on Amazon and we can share the link later. And it's amazing. They tell people first time writing a book, if you can sell about 200, 300 copies, you're, you're doing pretty good. You know, if you're not a household name, if you're not a celebrity. I have sold over 1,500 books now, and I've got 81 five-star reviews on Amazon. People I don't even know, people that have Lyme, people that don't have Lyme, people that have read this book and it's touched them with their own faith walk, people that have read this book that they're going through a challenge and Alex's story, her grit, her determination in the face of the storm you know, has inspired them. So it is just mind boggling how I just wanted to be able to get this story into print and have maybe one or two people say, you know, that was really a good book. You know, I learned so much about Lyme and and your daughter, but to have it be on this magnitude, I don't even have the words to put into, you know, conversation, how that feels. It just blows me away. That's incredible that it's already had such an impact and that it's reached. I mean, that that is are some really great numbers, 1,500 copies sold so far and 81 reviews. That's a lot. I'm impressed by that. Yeah. Yeah. So like I said, it obviously it was a story that needed to be put into print to be shared with others. And it's interesting, even a lot of people in my own inner circle, after they read the book, they said, gosh, you know, we didn't even know In that last year from 2017 until when Alex passed, everything that you guys went through, and I wasn't able to stop and bring everybody along on that journey with us because I was just trying to save my daughter. I mean, I was going clear across country. We'd be gone for three weeks, come home. You know, we'd be gone again for another two weeks, just going anywhere to see if we could find the proper treatment, the right treatment that was going to cure Alex. And I had my coworkers all chipping in to, to help with the vacation time, sick time, because I was a single mom. I was doing this all on my own. So for them to read the story and, and just go, gosh, you know, how did you do it? And I really, like I said, looking back on all that, I don't know how I did it, but I did. Yeah. Out of necessity to a certain right. extent. Sometimes you can go through inhuman, superhuman feats when. You think that's not possible. Right. And I think you have that mama bear instinct too. For those people that are listening and they have children, you will go to the ends of the earth for your child. And for me, you know, I always prided myself on the fact that I could fix things for my kids, right? I was a fixer. They had a problem. They came to me. I generally had a solution. We could work through it. This 
was beyond me. It was beyond my mother fixability skills. It just, it, it was horrific. And I think that, and seeing my daughter suffer so much really broke me multiple times, but I wouldn't let Alex see that. I mean, I would go and I would cry and, you know, have my moment. And then I'd be back all, you know, happy, clappy, just trying to, you know, provide relief for her and support for her because I didn't want her to, to see me that way. She needed me to, to be strong for her. How did you ultimately find support for yourself and healing for yourself? So I tell everybody I was very fortunate that Alex gave me a parting gift. I'm a very spiritual person. My faith is everything to me. And that definitely got me through this horrific moment with with Alex. But when Alex passed away, there was about three of my closest friends around the, the bedside. And we were all just sharing stories and just loving on her. And I didn't know that she was going to pass away that day. They just came over and, and you know, were, were praying with me and, and with Alex. Anyway, when it came my turn to talk to Alex and just, you know, love on her, I remember saying something and I was giving her permission. I was giving her permission to go, to leave, because I didn't want to see the suffering anymore. And I knew that she was just in such a terrible space that, you know, it just, nobody should have to be suffering and enduring what what she was. So I finally, you know, gave her that permission and she was, you know, incoherent. She was kind of in and out of things. And I hadn't even finished that sentence. And she lifted her head up from the pillow and she looked up to the ceiling And she had this great big smile on her face when she opened up her eyes. And then she closed her eyes and she laid her head back on the pillow and she passed. And in that moment, the parting gift, I tell everybody that's how I was able to move forward because as I was giving Alex permission to leave, she was giving me permission to live my life without her. And to basically tell me, mom, you know, I'm gonna be leaving you now. And you know where I'm going because I just gave you that sign that it's beautiful, it's glorious. And you're going to be okay because I'm going to be okay. And then from that moment, I just knew I had to create a legacy for her. And I I needed to share what, what she went through. And so for me, you know, the parting gift helped me. But also I'm very project-based. Anytime there's stress in my life, anytime that I'm anxious about something, I'll start cleaning. I'll start doing something, right? I've got to be active. Well, after she passed, I started looking into the foundation, starting a 501c3. And I thought, okay, well, I'm working for a nonprofit right now. It's probably going to take about a year to get, you know, my paperwork and everything, but I'll just apply and, and get the process going. So that was in April. By June, I received a letter in the mail saying, congratulations, you have a new 501c3 called Alex Hudson Lyme Foundation. I was like, wait, wait, I'm not ready for this yet. I thought it was going to be like a a year off, right? But obviously God was ready for me to, to start doing this. So I did. And I think just by establishing this foundation, raising money to help 
individuals that can't afford treatment, doing things that Alex wanted to do and couldn't do, that definitely healed me. And then writing the book. I think the book was the final thing that I needed in order to move forward because there was just so much, like I said, that was in my head. I hadn't processed because I was just in this busy project mode. And so sitting there, typing away her story, reliving all of the trauma and the tragedy and the horrible things that happened to to us and to her in the hospitals and with doctors, it just, it tore me and broke me all over again, but then it brought me back together whole. Sometimes you have to do that in order to move forward. You have to like just rip everything open, process it, sit in it, and then you start putting the pieces back together in a really healthy way. And today I'm good. You know, I miss my daughter and I would give anything to have her back, but I'm okay. I'm okay. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. And it's interesting what you share about the book and the process of writing it and how it can be therapeutic. Was that ever part of, I mean, it sounds like it was born out of demand. You were speaking publicly and people said, where's the book? It was, it, it was definitely born out of demand by several people asking me during that time. I was also part of a book club and there was a woman there who had helped people write books and you know, always talking about new authors. And, you know, I approached her and and said, Penny, I'm thinking about writing a book I've never written before. I don't know where to start. And she said, well, interesting that you should talk to me about this because I have invited two other women to this memoir writing class. And she said, if you would like to join us, just jot down some ideas, some thoughts on a couple pieces of paper, come to our session and see what you think. And so I did. And I learned so much from that group. I mean, we shared our stories with each other. They were my validation. They were my support. It was wonderful. So I did that for almost a year as I was writing Alex's book. And then everything just all came together. And like I said, I had never really written before. Neither had Alex. So writing is such a wonderful form of therapy. It's very therapeutic. Just getting it out of your head and onto print is very releasing. Absolutely. When was there a moment that you realized, oh, this is actually for me as well as being for the folks who were demanding it? I think within that first week, because I wasn't really sure where to start with this book. Like, okay, do I start at chapter one? What does that look like? And so my group had told me, just, you know, start writing, just start with whatever you feel most comfortable about, and then you can work your way around it. So I thought, oh, okay, that makes sense. I can start with this moment I remember. I can start with that moment I remember. And I had stacks of notebooks with all of Alex's medical notes, all of the doctor notes and everything. So yes, Alex didn't journal. But look at what she left you. She left you all of this material that I was able to use and kind of track like her weight and just everything through these books. So I sat down and I thought, I need to address the scene that I just told you right now, the parting gift scene. 
I need to address that first because that was the hardest. And then everything else I can work around. So I sat there and I wrote a couple sentences and I cried and I turned off the laptop. I'm like, oh, I don't think I can do this. The second night wrote a couple more. So in that process, I was like, okay, I'm forcing myself to deal with this now. I don't have like an active project. I'm not doing a fundraising event. I'm not out speaking. I'm sitting here. It's just me and my laptop processing all of this. And that's when I knew, okay, this is this is how Alex wanted me to, to write this book. But she also knew it was going to help me process what I went through. Did you seek any additional support through that process? So you had the memoir writing class. Did you have any other resources? I had multiple support groups. I didn't really see a therapist, but I had my girlfriends for sure, the ones that were with me at Alex's bedside when she passed away. We also, you know, Alex never went into a hospice. She always was home and we had made a pact because of the treatment that she had received in hospitals. I didn't want her to pass away in the hospital, nor did she want to pass away in a hospital. So we made a pact that she would be at home. And if she needed any additional medical care that I would bring it into the home. So we did have a nurse come in just to check her vitals, just in case she really got to a dangerous level that we could automatically get her to a hospital. But I also had this prayer couple that came in and they would come in twice a week and they would pray with Alex and they would pray with me as well. Well, when Alex passed away, they still kept coming to the home. And then I would include my girlfriends as well in that group. And that was a great way for us to honor Alex's memories, talk about what examples she gave to us with our own pain and suffering. And it provided such a safe haven for me because it was in my home. It was with my friends that had seen me through the worst of times. And it was getting us that perspective and bringing it back to our faith in God and just really leaning on that to get me through. So I would say that that was my, my biggest source of support. That's beautiful. That's beautiful that the prayer team continued to meet with you after. They did. And, and I tell everybody, gosh, you know, at the end, if you need that medical attention, you need the hospice, that's great. But man, having a prayer team made all the difference. They came religiously twice a week for almost two months through my church. And I didn't even know that this had existed until the priest came over and told me that they have this healing ministry. And I didn't think Alex was going to go for it because, you know, when she started this journey, she was about 122 pounds. And when she passed away, she was 57 pounds. She was a shell of herself, but she was still vain, right? She was a girl. I mean, when you don't feel good, you don't want people coming over and, you know, looking at you and going, oh my gosh. And especially people that hadn't seen her for a long time. She just didn't want to be around that many people, but she embraced this prayer couple and, and it was just so beautiful. I mean, Alex and her father had been estranged since 2011 after he and I divorced. And so she didn't have a relationship with him. But with this gentleman and this prayer couple, George and Kathleen, George became the dad that she needed at the end. Mm -hmm. George loved her like his own daughter and Kathleen loved her 
like it was her own daughter as well. And just all of that was just so beautiful. It was beautiful for Alex. She needed that. And it was beautiful for me to see people loving on her. Wow, that's really beautiful. I remember I'm mentioning this for listeners because there are several really beautiful interviews that you've done on other podcasts. And I I had heard about the prayer team, but I didn't know that they stayed for you for two months after. And I think that's really, yeah, really important. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it was that they knew that I needed that healing. They knew that I needed that safe space. They just knew that prayer and, and faith was just so important for me during that time. And yeah, that they just became part of our family. They're such good people. And these people do this and don't get paid for it. It's all volunteer, which is just beautiful in itself. But yes, I was very blessed that they came into Alex's life and my life and they still are in my life. I mean, they will always be in my life. When you go through death with someone, when you go through that very intimate experience, there's a a bond there that will never be broken. It's very sacred. As much as I was impacted by the parting gift in, in Alex's final moments, so were the people in that room. And, and it helped so many that have been questioning their faith. In fact, one of the gals that was in the room with us when Alex passed away, I immediately thought, oh my gosh, I feel terrible that she was here to witness this because her husband was diagnosed with cancer and he had been battling like Alex was. And he died a couple of months later. And I thought, oh my gosh, I wanted to protect her from witnessing Alex pass on. But she told me that that helped her when her own husband passed away a couple months later, it prepared her. So it was actually her gift, right? Her parting gift from Alex. So she could be prepared for what would happen with her husband passing away a a couple months later. Wow. Yeah. It's definitely an experience to go through witnessing someone's passing. Absolutely. And I had never really experienced that before. Both of my parents have passed away, but they live in Michigan and I moved away from home and gosh, the eighties. And I, I didn't look back. I mean, I just didn't, my childhood was something that I really, you know, wanted to erase for the most part, unfortunately. But so I never had that experience being right there with someone passing on. And I'm glad that it was such a a beautiful experience and it wasn't a scary experience, a frightening experience for me. Alex, as much as I was protecting her, she was definitely protecting me at the end too. Mm. I just want to honor, I've not having gone through this myself, I feel like one of the hardest things a person could go through in life is watching their child suffer and pass away. Absolutely. I mean, they say, you know, you shouldn't have to bury your children before yourself. And, and when you lose someone at 22, someone that had everything going for them, she had a full ride scholarship to UCLA. She wanted to, the whole foundation was her idea. She thought that she was going to be able to beat Lyme disease. And she wanted to then start this foundation and help raise funds because she 
knew how we battled to find the means, the resources to pay for treatment. I mean, I spent over $100,000 in one year trying to, to save her. And, you know, it was through my parents' small little inheritance when they passed away. Little did I know that I was going to be using it to save my daughter. But I think of people out there that don't have those means. It's terrible. Just the suffering that goes on with this disease and just the treatment that is not covered. I mean, there's so much that we need to to still do with, with Lyme disease. But yeah, having a child suffer is one of the worst things that can happen to a parent. Because like I said earlier, we as parents are the fixers. We fix everything. Your child has a, a scrape, a cut, put a Band-Aid on it, right? I couldn't put a Band-Aid on her Lyme disease. Wow. It is heartbreaking that it's so inaccessible for folks to find treatment options for Lyme. And I appreciate your honesty and transparency about how much you spent in a year and how you're able to get it and recognizing that's not a reality within reach for a lot of people. So for anyone who's unfamiliar, can you tell us more about what exactly does the Alex Hudson Lyme Foundation do today? Sure. So what we do is we raise funds to support those going through treatment. And in the beginning, when we first started out with fundraising, my first goal of the foundation was to raise funds to start up a research grant with Lyme disease. And so we did that from our first fundraising event. We raised enough money and we partnered with Global Lyme Alliance out of New York and we had a $50,000 and then they put in 50, so $100,000 grant called the Alex Hudson Lyme Foundation, which went right towards research. So that was important to me. And then the fundraisers after that went for treatment. So people, you know, they can write in to have grants granted to them that will pay for whether it's a doctor, pay for their protocol, vitamin supplements, whatever it is that they need. So Every year we give out anywhere from four to five grants, depending upon how much money is is raised. Now, obviously, like everybody else, the pandemic wiped us out. We weren't able to do fundraising at all. So this book kind of came along at the perfect time because all the proceeds from the book go right back into the foundation. And that's my source of income for the foundation right now until we can get back up and do fundraising events and host fundraising events. We have a website. Website is a great resource for individuals if they need to know just the ABCs of Lyme disease, different types of treatments, protocols, resources. We also have a section on there on mast cell activation syndrome because that really was what caused Alex's death. She had Lyme disease and then the Lyme disease turned into this mast cell activation syndrome which ultimately took her life. So we have lots of great resources on there. We just really try and help those in the community. There's so many people that are suffering now from Lyme disease and it's sad. I wish I could help everybody, but hopefully one day we'll have a cure. One day we'll figure this out. I'm very hopeful. There's lots of good scientists, researchers working on things right now, but Until then, it's up to us just to help however we can in even the smallest of ways. Mm -hmm. 
thank you for everything you do in the community, right? You like writing a book, starting a nonprofit, speaking a snow no small feat to do all of that. So you're definitely a mover and a shaker in a lot of ways. Thank you. Yeah. It can be challenging for sure. I mean, and then I have a very intense day job. You know, I have to pay my own bills. I don't take anything from the foundation. So I do all of this, the speaking, the conferences, anything with the book, anything with the foundation, basically nights and weekends, right? Because I have to be gainfully employed. But like I said before, we get that stamina. We have that the superhuman powers just bestowed upon us when there's something really important that needs to get done. We just find the strength to keep moving forward. Besides the passion and your faith and how that brings in a lot of strength to keep going, how do you take care of yourself so that this is sustainable so that you can have this impact in the world? I really believe in, and I know it sounds cliche when people say, oh, mind, body, spirit, but it's so important and you have to be very scheduled, right? You've got to, especially when you're busy and you've got multiple projects and jobs and everything going on. I'm up every morning at six o'clock. I'm going to the gym just to set my day. I'm listening to Christian music to be inspired. I'm listening to a podcast, whatever it is that I need to hear that morning. I'm listening to it. I'm setting up my day. I come home and then I just start with my job, get through everything. And then by the end of the day, I just kind of circle back around to, okay, that's done. Now, what do I need to accomplish in the Alex Hudson Lyme Foundation world? What do I need to accomplish in the book world? And checking in with my body. How am I feeling today? Am I just totally wiped out, exhausted? Do I need a pass tonight? Or am I feeling good? And just like a little 10, 15 minute nap might help. And then eating healthy. Oh my gosh, that is just so, so, so important. I didn't realize that. I mean, it's so easy just to grab junk when you're fast and furious, but you are what you eat. I totally believe in that. So making sure that you're eating healthy, exercise, putting good things into your head, taking time for yourself, whether it's having a spa day or taking a detox bath or any of those things, you've got to nourish your body. You've got to be good to your body because if you're not good to your body, it's not going to be good back to you. So all those things I really am mindful about. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you have a very disciplined routine. I do. I try to at least. (laughs) Was there anything that during the really, really difficult season of Alex being sick, I mean, I imagine that keeping up a schedule like that maybe was not feasible every day. What carried you through that time? What carried me through that time was definitely being, I was still working. So it was kind of a nice escape for me. I get Alex all set up for whatever she needed, all of her medications, all that, you know, and then I'd fly to work. I mean, work was only about 10, 15 minutes away. So that was good. I'd fly back home at lunchtime, checking in on her, seeing what calls I had to make for the doctors, kind of like what I explained earlier with my schedule and the discipline. I had to have that with Alex because I was her primary caretaker, but I also had to keep working because I needed the insurance to pay for whatever it could with Alex's treatment and for going to all these doctors. So just being very disciplined, 
I didn't have time for the luxury of the baths and all that other type of stuff that I, I spoke about. But I think my work was the biggest distraction for me. And then Alex, every Sunday, as hard as we could, we would try and get to church. I mean, at the end, it was propping her up in a wheelchair and putting lots of padding in her wheelchair because just sitting in the wheelchair when her frame was 60 some pounds was just painful, but she wanted to go to church. And we went to two different services. We went to a Catholic and we went to non-denominational. And especially at the non-denominational church, these people loved on her. They made her little bracelets that said hope and believe and would give her hugs. So it gave me such joy seeing people loving on Alex just for that hour. And she needed that too. That was like, if I can just make it to Sunday, I can see my friends, people that she didn't know, but, you know, I can see my church friends. And, and so just little things like that. And sometimes I remember Alex telling me, because we lived in a neighborhood with a lot of older people and she'd stare out the window and she'd see Betty, one of our neighbors that was 87 years old with a walker, like just going little by little trying to walk. And that would give Alex encouragement. She'd be like, okay, you know what? She can get up and keep walking around. I can do this. And so little things like that just really, really helped me. But then, like I said, there'd be moments where I would just break and I would just take off in the car, you know, making sure she was okay. But I'd lie and say I was going to the grocery store or something. I would just take off and drive. And I remember several times I would just pull over and like pound on the dashboard and just, you know, be so mad at God. And say, why? Like, why are you putting her through this? Why are you putting me through this? Like, give me, you know, her pain. Don't, don't allow this to continue to happen for my daughter. Cause I just, that just was breaking me. And I would just be so mad and angry. And, and sometimes I would just say, all right, just take her then. Like, if you aren't going to heal her and fix her, then just take her because this purgatory, this in between, I can't handle anymore. And then I'd go home and, you know, be all, you know, happy for, for Alex and have on my motherly face. But yeah, it was, it was tough. I went through a whole roller coaster of emotions, just trying to be strong for Alex and be strong for myself. But I'm only human. I mean, there are definitely a lot of times that I just broke and just couldn't take it any longer. Has anything allowed you to reconcile the anger at God and how God could allow something like this to happen? Yep. I mean, seeing what she went through and then writing this book and getting the feedback from people of how it's impacted them and their lives and has given them hope. I'm like, okay, God, I get it. Like how blessed I was to have my daughter, who I truly consider a saint in my life for 22 years and give me a roadmap of how I'm to live out my life, honoring God, honoring Alex and her legacy and sharing that story with other people. So hopefully they can heal too. You know, healing isn't always just in the form of physical healing. It's in the form of spiritual, emotional. So anything that I can do to, to help others I know that's what I'm called to do. And I understand now. And I feel like on earth, Alex and I were always doing things together. We were inseparable. You know, you talk about that mother-daughter bond. It was so strong with us. 
But now I feel we're still together. We're tagged in a different way, right? She's still having people connect to me through her book, through her story. She's just bringing people into my life so I can speak about her story and help to inspire others. So yeah, I'm okay with everything. You know, I, I, I'm human and I would love just to, you know, have her here with me and to give her hugs and just to touch her that human touch. But I know that one day I'll see her again. And until that time, I just have to keep doing what God's called me to do and what Alex has called me to do. Yeah. Well, thank you for everything that you do. (laughs) There's so many parting, like, oh man, there's this and this. Is there any advice or wisdom or encouragement you would share for someone who's in the thick of the caregiver journey where maybe they're trying to come up for a breath of air? And, you know, we talk about self-care all the time. And like when you're really in that season, like you said, you don't have time for the baths. You're just trying to survive. Right. What might you say to someone who's going through that? What I would say to someone going through that is, is you have to be vulnerable. You can't always be so stoic and can't always be so, you know what? I'm fine. Like when friends call you, you know, how, how are you doing? You know, they're checking in with you because obviously they know that you are going through this storm. And when you just say fine, some of my girlfriends now, when I say that, that's the code word and they know that I'm not fine. And so they will like drag me <laughs> to coffee or lunch or something. So it's be vulnerable. We aren't always fine. You need to let people love on you and take care of you when you are a caretaker. You can let down your guard. It's okay. You need to walk away from that real heavy, heavy lift that you're doing here with the individual that you are taking care of. Because if you don't, you're not going to be able to sustain yourself. And yeah, let let people into your world as much as you possibly can. Because everybody wants to help. They don't always know how to. Even if it's just getting groceries, my friends would text me, hey, what can we do? They just felt so helpless. They knew I was hurting and they didn't know what to do. Let them be useful. Let them pick up the dry cleaning. Let them pick up the groceries. Oh my God, my girlfriends were ecstatic when I finally let them do something like that. They're like, oh, we've been waiting to do something because that's their love apps. They want to help. And they know that they can't make the doctor calls. They can't do this other stuff, but let them love you and support you. That's beautiful that you had a community of friends who were so at the ready. And yeah, it can be profoundly uncomfortable and feel somewhat powerless when you know someone you love is in pain. They go, we know that we can't take away Alex's suffering. We know we can't make the doctor calls, but that's great that they were able to help you with those. I'm sure it like gave them some peace having something to do. Oh, it did. Even the multiple hospital trips and doctor's visits and everything, they were excited if I would just text them and say, okay, you know, several of them had my house key. So I'd say, okay, we, you know, we're coming back home. Great. You know, we'll have the light on. I'll bring over some dinner for you. They'll have like fresh flowers for me or something. I mean, it was their start crying. Is there the best that they could do for me at that time? You know? Yeah. So yeah, you got to let people into, into your, your storm whenever you can. That's really, really nice. Wow. There's a part of me that's like, I'm so glad you had that. And my prayer is I wish everyone with Lyme disease had that. Yeah. Because so many don't, right? We know that you go on these Facebook support groups 
And people, you know, reach out to me all the time through Alex's foundation that are just desperate. And I get it. I mean, I was there too with Alex. Like you just are hanging on by a thread. And so I respond back to all the emails I receive with encouraging words. But yeah, there's just so many people out there that are looking for a lifeline. And it breaks my heart, especially when families just abandon them, friends abandon them. Because sometimes it's easier to do that when people don't believe or can't understand what someone's going through because this illness is such an invisible illness. It's tough. So I pray for everyone out there that's suffering because I get it. Is there anything you've seen that you feel helps? I mean, of course, we can never control the actions of others and we can't control if they believe us, if they support us or not. But is there anything you've noticed that maybe encourages that supportive network, like for you or for anyone else that you've met through this journey? I know as far as to empower individuals with Lyme disease, I can speak to that. There's this, and I write about it in my book that one time when Alex and I were at CVS picking up a prescription and she was, I think, down to about like 80 some pounds, maybe 75 pounds. And obviously looking very thin, right? And not healthy. I was over in a different aisle and this woman came up to Alex. And I don't understand why people just feel like they can take the liberty and walk up to people and just make nasty remarks and comments. But this woman walked up to Alex and said, you know, honey, you really should try and eat. You just don't look good. Like Alex was just so horrified by that. And she would get stares from people when she was out walking and, you know, she would hear the whispers and it really got to her. So as a mom, I thought, how can I turn this into a learning experience for the people that are doing that horrible act? Right. So I said, Alex, let's get some three by five cards. And on one side of the card, you're going to put down Lyme disease and you're going to list like what Lyme disease is, just some quick facts about it. And on the other side of the card, write down a a Bible scripture, because she was like me, I mean, just into the word every day, write down a Bible scripture, something that you really enjoy that really speaks to you. That you're going to have those three by five cards. And the next time we're out in public and you hear someone making a comment about you or somebody coming up to you, you're going to give them one of those cards and you're going to say, you know, Thank you so much for being concerned about me. I have Lyme disease and I don't know if you know anything about Lyme disease, but here's a card on it so you can read a little bit about it. And here's also a scripture and just have a blessed day. So an act was done horrible to her, but I wanted her to turn that into a teaching moment and then also bless that person because obviously they have something going on in their lives where they have to be mean like that to other people. Yeah. How did that go? When she started giving out the cards, people were shocked. People were like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. A lot of people didn't know Lyme disease. I mean, back in 2017, I didn't even know about Lyme disease, right? I thought it was something out on the East Coast. Fast forward to 2022, I could really put doctor in front of my name. (laughs) I've learned so much about it. But yeah, it was a really good teaching moment. And I think it's a good lesson for all of us in life and something terrible happens to you. How can you turn it into a positive? Absolutely. One last question before we share how listeners can learn more about the Alex Hudson Lyme Foundation and your book. What, 
has given you hope through all of this? What has given me hope through all of this? The hope that I know one day I'm going to be reunited with Alex. The hope that I know one day scientists, researchers, people are going to figure out this disease and people aren't going to have to go through what Alex went through. So it gives me hope to continue on with the work that I'm doing on behalf of Alex and the advocacy that I'm doing for the Lyme community to keep those conversations going. I will never be quiet about my daughter. I will never be quiet about her journey. I'll never be quiet about Lyme disease and always interjecting it wherever I can. And the hope that I've seen so much beauty come through this Lyme community. And I hang on to that because through the darkness, through all these storms that we go through, there still are these silver linings. There still is beauty to be found. And so that gives me hope meeting you. I mean, all these great people that I get to meet through interviews and just trying to do good in the world, that gives me hope. I really feel that I wish on the newscast at nighttime, they always ended it with a message of hope because there's so much ugliness and drama and just meanness out there in the world. And all the good that people do, it just doesn't get glorified enough. So that always gives me hope just knowing that, yeah, there's a lot of good people still out there. Like you, good people like you. Well, I I hope so. So thank you. I appreciate that. So where can listeners connect with your book, the Alex Hudson Lyme Foundation? Yes. So our website is www.alex, A-L-E-X, Hudson, H-U-D-S-O-N, limefoundation.org. And if you go to our website on the front page there, on the home page is our link to the Amazon, where you can click on that and you can purchase a copy of the book. And I love for people to write reviews. It not only helps new authors, but it just, it helps me to understand how this book is having such an impact on people's lives. And for people that are listening, just go through and read some of the reviews. I mean, it will just inspire you by what people are saying about the book and the message. So that's how people can get a hold of me. Our email is on the Outsetson Lion Foundation homepage as well. So anybody listening today, if they are by themselves, if they are just feeling like they don't have anybody there to support them, if they are barely hanging on by a thread, please email me because I will be there for your support. I don't want anyone to go through this alone. Thank you, Jody. You're such a gift. Well, thank you. You're a gift for doing what you do to raise awareness about this and to to help others. There's got to be more empathy and compassion in the world for sure. So thank you. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Many thanks once again to our guest and to you, our listeners, for joining us. It means so much to us to share this time with you, and we hope it gave you a boost of strength and encouragement to keep going, no matter where you are, knowing that you certainly are not alone. To learn more about Ride Out Lime and the In It Together podcast, please visit www.rideoutlime.org. We love hearing from you. Please also follow us and leave a review so we can keep providing episodes that best support you. 
Until next time, hold on to the very real hope that there is a way and we will keep finding it together.